going to open up to the book of James this morning. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And we'll be reading verses 13 through 17 together. James 4. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1201. James 4, verses 13 through 17. This is what God's word says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Thus far the reading of God's word. Dear congregation, many of us tend to think a little more highly of ourselves than we ought. I must confess that in my first years of ministry, I carried with me the subtle belief that I was God's gift to the church. There would be nobody quite like me. There would be very few pastors that would have the impact on Christ's kingdom that I would have. Boy, (laughs) has God taught me how wrong I was. But that's the kind of people we are. We tend to think more of ourselves than we ought. We tend to believe that our lives and our ideas and our abilities are of more value and of more purpose and more importance than most. That is, of course, nothing less than pride, and pride comes naturally for us in our fallen and sinful condition. And our text this morning confronts such proud thinking. And it confronts such proud thinking by means of one simple question. And the question is this. What is your life? What is your life? It's a a searching question. It's a humbling question. It's a question that is meant to stop us in our tracks and arrest us in our native arrogance. What is your life? Really? Seriously? Honestly? Well, with that question before us this morning, let each of us notice first what our life is not. Our life is not something we are sovereign 
over. Our life is not something that we are in complete control of. This is the point James is making in verses 13 and 14a. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. James here is speaking to those who go about their business and who make their plans with no thought of God. We know that because in verse 16, he calls these same people arrogant boasters. And scripture's clear who arrogant boasters are. Arrogant boasters are people who take no thought of God. People who take thought of God have no room for boasting and bragging, okay? Arrogant boasters are people who take no thought of God. So James here is speaking to people who live as if they are sovereign over their lives and who live as if they get to determine their length of days and the places where they'll live and even the amount of money that they'll make in that time. And to such people who live as though they are masters of their own destiny, James says this, You are not sovereign over your life. You are not in complete control of your life. You can go ahead and plan where you're going to live. You can go ahead and plan how long you're going to live there. You can go ahead and plan how much money you're going to make while you live there. You can spell out as specifically as you want what the next year of your life is going to look like. But the fact of the matter remains, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You are not sovereign over your life. You don't have the final say and how things are going to go. Now, Jesus, you might remember, had some pretty strong words for these people whom James is addressing here. The words are found in a parable that Jesus told. It's called the parable of the rich fool. We see it in Luke chapter 12. This is what Jesus says. The land of a rich man produced plentifully And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And then he said, I know what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods stored up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, fool. This very night, your soul will be required of you. These things you have planned, what will become of them? Do you hear what Jesus says about about these people whom James is speaking to? Do you hear what Jesus says about people who live as if they are sovereign over their lives and who make their plans with no thought whatsoever of God? Jesus says, these people are fools. These are people who live in a fantasy land. These are people who live in a dream world that doesn't exist. No one 
is sovereign over their life. You are not sovereign over your life. I am not sovereign over my life. Okay, scripture is, scripture is clear. God is the one who numbers our days. That's Job 14, verse 5. God is the one who determines where we'll live. That's Acts 17, 26. God is the one who gives poverty, and God is the one who gives wealth. That's 1 Samuel 2, verse 7. God is sovereign over our lives. I'm guessing, I'm guessing that there are some of us here this morning who are bitter and who are angry and who are resentful towards God. And the reason we are bitter and angry and resentful towards God is because we have made plans for our lives that haven't worked out. Maybe, maybe our health hasn't cooperated. Maybe a loved one died way too soon. Maybe the child we longed for hasn't been given to us. Maybe our finances remain much tighter than we thought they would at this point in our lives. Maybe it's something else. Whatever the case, I'm guessing that some of us have made plans for our lives that haven't come to fruition. And now we resent God because of it. Well, hear me clearly. If you're one of these people, you will remain bitter and you will remain angry towards God until you accept this truth, that you are not sovereign over your life. Do you remember Job and his wife? Their plans most certainly did not work out. They lost their wealth. They lost their possessions. They lost their children. And then Job lost his health. Job's wife grew bitter and angry and resentful towards God. Do you remember what she said to Job? She said, Job, just curse God and die. Job didn't do that. Do you remember how Job responded? to his wife. He responded to his wife with an incredible affirmation of God's sovereignty. He said to his wife, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and not evil? Job recognized, didn't he, that God is sovereign over his life and that nothing happens to him apart from God's will. And that realization kept Job from heeding his wife's advice and from growing resentful and bitter towards God. Some of us, too, will remain bitter and angry and resentful to God until we apply this truth to our heart. You are not sovereign over your life. You never have been. You never will be. God is sovereign, not you. What is your life? 
we notice first what it's not. It's not something we are sovereign over. Let us notice second what our life is. There are two words we can use to describe what our life is according to the text. The first word is mist. Mist. Your life is a mist. James tells us that in the last part of verse 14. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. When I was a boy, uh, our family uh, used to camp uh, at Brower Park on the Muskegon River. I didn't know my parents were going to be here, but I'm sure they remember this. I'm sure my dad would remember it too. So welcome to my parents anyways. Uh, we used to camp at Brower Park uh, up on the Muskegon River near the Hardy Dam. And uh, on Saturdays, dad would, dad would wake me up early uh, before the sunrise even to go, to go fishing. And uh, I always remember, there's several things I remember about this. First, we were, we were in a camper, uh, and so we would do our best to not wake up my mom and my sister uh, in those early morning hours, which we always failed at because you're in a camper, right? And it's impossible to be quiet uh, in a camper. Uh, but then we would finally get ready, and we would, we would walk down to our fishing boat, which was tied up in the channel. And uh, we, would, we would put our stuff uh, in the fishing boat, uh, and we would, we would push off from shore and we would drive out of the channel uh, and into uh, the Muskegon River. Uh, we'd get into the river and dad, he would, he would open up the throttle and we'd start cruising down the river uh, to our fishing spot. And uh, what I remember uh, is that there was, there was always a fog uh, or a mist uh, on the river in those early morning hours that accompanied our trip down the river. And it actually always made me a little nervous because we were moving what seemed like to me at the time at a really fast speed. It was probably like 20 miles an hour, but you know, you're on the water, you're in a boat. It felt like we were going, we were going fast. And uh, as we were moving at this, what felt like a high rate of speed, uh, we couldn't see that far ahead of us or behind us or to the side of us. And occasionally, out of the early morning mist, a boat would appear, either coming at us or fishing along the shore. And my fear was always that it would be coming right at us and there'd be a collision, right? And that was my fear as a little boy, but it never happened. Anyway, we'd, we'd get to our spot and we'd start fishing and we'd start focusing on that and, and the morning would get brighter as the sun rose higher and higher in the sky and eventually, right, eventually every single morning, almost at the snap of a finger, that mist which hung over the river, it would just, it would just be gone. And suddenly you could see clearly as far as the eye could see in every direction. James here says that that mist that you're familiar with in those early morning hours, that mist which accompanies you on that early morning fishing trip or that early morning walk or that early morning round of golf, that mist, that's your life, man. That's your life. That's about all it is. That's about how long it lasts. 
That's about how, how significant you are. You appear for a little time. And then you're gone. Now, this image is, is meant to communicate to us at least three realities. I think we could say it communicates several more realities than even that. But it's, it's meant to communicate to us at least three realities. First, it's meant to communicate to us that life is frail. Life is frail. There's nothing about mist that is strong and durable, is there? You can drive your fishing boat through mist quite easily. The wind has its way with mist. It can blow it away. The sun burns mist up. Mist is frail. So is life. Life is frail. I mentioned in uh, my Reflections article from a couple weeks ago how I have a file on my computer which contains the names of every single person I've ever done a funeral for. As I look at this file, there's things I can say about it. These people, they were of different ages. My file consists of people from the age of 20 to the age of 99. I'm not looking to change those boundaries anytime soon. Maybe the top one. Those people died in different ways. Some died from cancer. Some died from COVID. Suicide. Farming accidents. Dementia. Heart attack. These people died in different places. Some died at home. Some died at work. Some died at the hospital or the nursing home, even on vacation. I could think, too, of names that aren't listed. Names of children in my congregation who died in their mother's womb. Life is frail. We know that. Second, this, this image is meant to communicate to us that life is, life is fleeting. It, it, it goes fast. It appears for a little while and then it's gone. You know, boys and girls, when you're, when you're little, it kind of feels like life is going to go on forever. I remember having that feeling when I was a little boy. And uh, I'm still convinced that life does sort of move slower when you're a little kid. I don't know if that's true, but it, it sure seems that way. A couple weeks ago, I, uh, I, I did chapel uh, at Unity Christian High School. And uh, as I was up there doing chapel, it occurs to me, as it does every time I do chapel there, that a number of years ago, I was sitting where those students were sitting. Now it's been, it's been 21 years since I was sitting where those students were sitting 21 years ago, I remember sitting there, I had my whole life ahead of me. And now, in what seems like the blink of an eye, I'm a middle-aged man with five children. Just trying to survive most days. That's life. Life is fleeting, life goes fast. Third, this image is meant to communicate that life is, life is forgettable. When the mist vanishes, it, it really leaves no trace. 
there is no sign that the mist was ever there. We might say the mist is quickly forgotten. And so it is with our lives. Do you remember what the psalmist says? As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. That's the hard truth about each and every one of our lives. It won't be all that long after we die that no one will remember us anymore. Go walk through the cemetery over here in in Zealand. Find a gravestone from a hundred years ago or more. You can read the name, sure, but does anybody know who that person is? Does anyone know what they looked like, what they accomplished, what made them tick, where they worked? No. And so it'll be for you and I. Our lives are as forgettable as the mist that vanishes at dawn. Let's be honest, this is is humbling, isn't it? We tend to think so much of ourselves. We tend to think we have so much to offer our community and our world and our place of employment and Christ's church. We tend to think there's no way these people could get on without me. And the Bible says, you want to know what you are? You want to know what your life is, really? It's a mist. A frail fleeting, forgettable mist. That's humbling. Of course, this truth about us and our lives, it does highlight the glory and blessedness of the gospel. Because in the gospel, what does God give to frail, fleeting, and forgettable mists like us? Well, he gives unto us the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The writer of Psalm 103, he understood this wonderful juxtaposition very well. I read verses 15 and 16 a moment ago. Let me read for you now Psalm 103, verses 15, 16, and 17. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. And then he says this. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Hear what he says? He says it's true. It's true. Our lives are frail and fleeting and forgettable. And yet even still, God's steadfast love is forever upon those who fear him. And that means even frail, fleeting, and forgettable myths like us are not without a great hope in God. I think the hymn writer understood this well when she wrote, swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay and all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. What else can frail, fleeting, forgettable mists like us to ask for? But that thou who changest not, 
abide with me. And the wonder of the gospel is that in Christ he can and he does and he will forever and ever. But what is your life? That's the question. James tells us it's a mist, a frail, fleeting, forgettable mist. But there is a second word I think we can use to describe our lives according to James. And that second word is, is the word means. Means, your life is a means, a means for what you ask. Well, well it's a means for bringing glory to God. That's really what James calls us to do in verses 15 and 17. In these verses, he calls us to live our lives as those who bring glory to God. How do we do that according to James? Well, well, one way we do it is by making plans and humble submission to God's will. James began this section by speaking about those people who make plans without any thought of God. And now in verse 15, he says, instead of making your plans that way, make your plans this way. Say, when you make plans, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So James here is not telling us that we shouldn't make plans. Not at all. He's simply telling us that when we make our plans, we must make them as those who recognize and accept and believe that it's ultimately God who will determine whether or not our plans work out. And he tells us what it looks like to live this way. It looks like a simple acknowledgement that we will only do what we've planned to do if the Lord wills. I suppose you've all heard people who have spoken about their plans for the future and then have said, Lord willing. I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. I'm going on vacation next week, Lord willing. You, you've heard it. Even the Apostle Paul did it. 1 Corinthians 4.19, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. All right, that, that's a good thing to do. The Bible instructs us to do such a thing. It comes right here from James chapter 4. So some years ago, when I was serving my former church, we had a guest minister coming to preach. Uh, and he sent me an email earlier in the week in preparation for that day. And at the end of that email, he wrote, see you on Sunday. And then in parentheses, he put the letters DV, D period, V period. I was like, huh, what's that mean? It's not his initials, right? At first I'm like, oh, it's just his initials. No, it's not his initials. What's that mean? And so I, I Googled it. And I discovered at the time that DV is a well-known abbreviation for the Latin words Deo Valente. And the words Deo Valente mean in Latin, God willing. And so what this pastor said at the end of his email was, see you Sunday, God willing. Of course, we all agree that a little Latin now and then adds some nice spice to life. And so sometimes you might see me uh, attach those letters to things. In fact, if you're on council, I don't know if you ever, ever realized it, but, uh, but uh, when I write my monthly report for council, I often write that report about five or six days before our council meeting. And so in that report, there are times when I really want to report on things that haven't actually happened yet right? They're going to happen after I write the report, but before our council meeting. And so my practice is to report on those things 
and then to follow up the report with the letters DV uh, in parentheses. And I'm essentially acknowledging when I do that, that I will be making this visit, I will be attending this meeting, I will be preaching in this worship service if the Lord wills. Anyway, attaching to our plans the letters DV or the words Lord willing, it's a simple acknowledgement of God's sovereignty over our lives. It's a simple way to continually live in humble submission to God's will. Does that mean you have to say these words every time you make plans or talk about the future? Uh, No, I don't think it means that. But you should say these words or have an awareness of these words in your heart every time you make plans for the future. And of course, what is this ultimately, these words, if the Lord wills? It's, It's an expression of trust, isn't it? It's a simple acknowledgement that our lives are in God's hands. It's a way of saying, God, here are my plans. God, here's what I intend to do. But please know, Lord, I trust you with my life a lot more than I trust me with my life. Okay, this is an expression of trust. There is another way, James tells us here, that we live as those who bring glory to Christ. It's by obeying his word. That's simply what James calls us to do in verse 17, when he says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. All right, when it comes to making plans, James has told us what is the right thing to do. It's to make our plans in humble submission to God's will. If we then proceed from this place and we go ahead and make our plans with no thought of God, then we're sinning because we know the right thing to do and we fail to do it. But the principle which James sets forth here extends to all of life. In all of life, there is a right thing to do. In all of life, God's word is relevant and instructive. And therefore, whenever we know the right thing to do but fail to do it, it's, it's sin. Of course, this, this truth makes us thankful for Jesus. This truth makes us thankful for his death on the cross, for our sins, and and for his perfect righteousness, which is credited to our account when we trust in him. I mean, mean, if it wasn't for that, we'd have no hope, right? Because which of us doesn't many times a day know the right thing to do, yet fail to do it? There isn't one of us. So this truth makes us us thankful for Jesus, for the finished work of Christ. There is, I think, another way to to look at and consider this truth in verse 17. Uh, And it's in light of that searching question James has asked. James asked, what is your life? He's told us what our life isn't. It's not something we are sovereign over. He's told us what our life is. It's a mist, a frail, fleeting, forgettable mist. Our life is also a means. It's a means of bringing glory to God in the brief time that God gives us in this world. And as we come now to this last verse, perhaps James is saying to us something like this. You know, Our plans often don't work out. Life doesn't always go as we wish it did. But note well, however it's going, whatever your circumstances are now, you have an opportunity 
to bring glory to God in them. We must understand that, okay? You might not live in the place you planned on living. You might not be making the amount of money you planned on making. You might not be enjoying the health you planned on enjoying. You might not be experiencing the circumstances you planned on experiencing. But note well, wherever you are, in whatever situation you find yourself in today, you can glorify God by doing the right things that he's told you to do in his word. Wherever you are, whatever situation you find yourself in, however your life has unfolded, you can love God and you can love your neighbor as God has called you to in his word. Even now, even here, even where you find yourself today, there is a right thing for you to do. And to not do it is sin. As I prepared this sermon throughout the week, I had an old poem rolling around in my head. It was written by the 19th century British missionary C.T. Studd. This is how it goes. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life, twill soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be past. 
only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father in heaven, teach us to number our days aright that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.